Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I've titled the message, Why We Take Communion, because I think it's important for us as we take communion today, and of course we'll be taking it um, all throughout this year, it's important for us to have a foundation and understanding of why we even do this, why we take communion, why this is something that we do. But before we get into all of that, I want to ask you all a question, so be a little interactive today. Who here has ever left a review online before for something? Ever left a review? Some of you, more people in the first service have left reviews. Um, This is where it can get a little dicey, though. How many of you have ever left a positive review before? Raise your hands. That's quick. Yep, this is, okay. How many have left a negative review before? Okay, some of you are proud. Okay, I get it. It's okay. We're in, here's, okay. How many of you left a borderline criminal review before? Yep. Some of you are, some of you have your heads lowered. You're like, I don't listen. You're in God's house. He sees your heart. He already saw the review that you gave. All right. You'll have a time of repentance for later that, uh, for all of that. But whether you've left a good review, a bad review, whether you've left a review at all, we all know what reviews are, right? We read them. We look at them. We see them on Amazon. We see them on Yelp. We see them on Airbnb. There's reviews for churches just about a review for anything and everything. But what I found out this week is that there's actually reviews for national parks. Anybody like national parks here? Been to a national park? Yeah. Um, My family did not do national parks. In fact, the first service, someone told me, they were like, you didn't really get out much, did you? And I was like, no, I'm more of an indoor kind of guy, you know? But uh, uh, I've not been to a lot of national parks. I've been to one officially. It was uh, Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. Uh, but I, I've also been to Garden of the Gods, but I don't know if that's actually, that's in Colorado. I don't actually know if that's a national park or not. Um, and I forgot to look it up again, but those are like the two places that I've really been um, outside of, of any, being when I'm outside, those are about the only two parks that I've ever been to. But what I thought I would do as we start off is I would pick a couple of negative reviews of some national parks here. And this is uh, one of them. I lived in New Mexico and I got some pictures so that we can, in case you don't know what it looks like, I brought some pictures too, to kind of show you what it looks like. This is, first one is of the Grand Canyon. Now I lived close in New Mexico. I lived close, but I'd never been to the Grand Canyon. But this is what one guy says. He says this, whoop-de-doo, Grand Canyon. You're a giant hole in the ground. You were caused by erosion. You don't have a roller coaster or a Dippin' Dots. Can you say overrated? I didn't know a Dippin' Dots made something that awesome, all right? Maybe to this guy, that's all. That's the first thing he looks for is the Dippin' Dots. Maybe he could have had one right on one of those plateaus. I don't know. Okay, the Yellowstone National Park. Again, I have not been to this national park. I hear it's great. Beautiful picture. I was like, that kind of almost makes me want to go to it. But this is what one person said. They said, the only thing that makes this place different from other parks is the geysers. I was extremely underwhelmed. They look so much better in the pictures. If you want a similar look, just boil a pot of hot water at home. (laughs) So I guess if I just got a pot of hot water, I would look similar to that. In fact, I kind of almost like his review because when I went to Mount Rushmore, that's kind of how I felt. Very underwhelmed. You think it's going to be this huge thing and it was really small. And I was like, that's it? That's what it is? So it was a little disappointing. So Sorry if you wanted to go and you're like, I don't know, all right? Saved you some time. Grand Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado. Uh, This is what someone said. They said, it's a big mountain of sand. That's it. When you go, that's all there is. Zion National Park in Utah. Somebody said, my guess is the only people who love this place never get out much. 
That's what it, it looks nice. It looks great. But apparently, you just, if you like it, you don't get out much. I've never been to Hawaii, but this is what they had to say about the Hawaiian Volcanoes National Park. Looks cool. Looks really nice. Looks awesome. This is what he had to say, though. Paid 20 bucks to get in. Didn't even get to touch the lava. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> I love that one, too. It was great. <laughs> But I think the reason why we're drawn to reviews is because we look at them when considering a restaurant, when considering maybe a church, a national park, considering a doctor, a plumber, some sort of product, because past performance can be a good indication for future results. We like to look and see how people have encountered whatever it is and how it turned out for them. But in the same way, when we have a great experience with something, maybe a restaurant, a vacation, some sort of product, we typically want everybody to know. You can't help but tell other people about your experience. And I think the same should be true when it comes to our faith. See, the Bible is a story of God's love all throughout human history. In fact, next week, we're going to start a series that's going to take us all the way up to Easter, talking about God's love from beginning to end of the Bible that is seen, that is uh, of his love for us all throughout human history. Uh, But part of our role as Christians is to tell our story, to open our mouths, tell about the goodness and the love of God. We need to tell our testimony. In fact, I love how Revelation 12 puts it. It says, they triumphed over him, speaking of the accuser, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Remembering God's goodness, God's love, God's grace in the past can give us hope for the present and for the future. Something in the past gives us hope for our present. Kind of like those reviews, good or bad, it gives us some hope. And one way we do this is by remembering and celebrating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through communion. And so as followers of Jesus, we have to embrace, we have all embraced the gospel. And just so we're all on the same page of what the gospel is, uh, it is the good news of Jesus. Paul even says it best in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, for what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. See, the good news is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We were all sinners. We were all separated from God. But God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to come to this earth, to live for us, to die for us. But the good news of the gospel is he did not stay dead. He rose again, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. And if we put our faith and trust in him, surrendering our lives to him, we can be reconciled back into that right relationship with the Father. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And the reason why I share all that and bring all of this up is because we're gonna take communion. And so we need to understand, we all need to be on the same page of what the gospel is and what it means before we take communion. See, communion is a time for us to reflect on what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And so if you have your Bible opened, 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to pick up verse 23. It says, For I have received from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Paul from these verses gives us instructions on what communion is and why we take communion. Now, before we really jump in the latter half of that, why we take communion, because that's really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time uh, today, I, I want to bring up something that I get asked often, and that is, when do we, as Awaken, as a church, when do we take communion? And I think the reason why I get this question so often is because for so many of us, we come from all over the United States. We come from different places. And so with that, there's different regularity when it comes to taking communion. And so some people argue that it has to happen every single week. Maybe for some of you, you have a church background where you took communion just out the door. You know, service was over. Somebody was standing at the door. They just kind of handed you communion. You went out the door. Maybe it was part of the worship service. You were there and it was just always available and you could come and you could take it at any time or they always incorporated it in their worship. And so for you, it was like, hey, it's every week. It's just part of what we do. Or maybe for you, you grew up and it was once a month. You know, on the first Sunday of every month, that's when it needs to happen. For others, you grew up, it was like once a quarter, you know, it was just kind of there. Maybe you grew up and there was no rhyme or reason. It was just whenever, you know. Uh, for others of you, there's people who said, you know, you just to do it once a year because it was to replace the Jewish celebration of Passover. But here's the point. There are a lot of different people who say how often communion should be done, but how often do we do it here at Awaken? Well, we do it about every six weeks. And you're like, well, what's your proof text? How did you decide that, discern that? Well, verse 26, for as often. That's it. That was kind of it. Now, this week, as I was thinking about it, I, I thought about the fact that over the last 15 years of the church, we've done it a number of different ways. I remember doing it once at Easter, once at Christmas time. I remember doing it uh, every Sunday. For It was just part of our service. It was always available, and people could come as they wanted to and, and take it. I remember it was like kind of once a quarter that we did it. Uh, when we first started, I think it was just kind of like, well, oh, we haven't done communion in a while. We should do it, you know? Uh, there, there's all kinds of different times that we've decided, oh, this is when we should do it. And there's a lot of different ways that we've done it. We've done it with the leavened bread. We've done it where you have bread and juice, so you could dip the bread in the juice. Now we've kind of landed on the cups because that's kind of since COVID, that kind of seems to be the best way, you know, kind of keeps everybody's germs to themselves. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of just the way that we do it. That we've done it in a number of different ways. In fact, this last week I was talking to uh, Josh Bremer. He's on our leadership team and I was talking to him and I was talking to him about this message and things that I've been praying about. And I told him, I said, I've been praying about making this a regular part of our worship service. Like at, at some point I'm praying about how often to do it. But I said, I've been praying that no matter what study we're going through, no matter what's happening, we pause and we always just take, we will take communion together. We'll remind ourselves, we'll press that pause button and take communion. Um, uh, we've, as a leadership team, we've talked about doing it in groups, that that's where it should take place. That's where it should happen in the group setting with the group leaders doing communion. But here's what I believe Paul is trying to get at here is that it's up to every individual church to do this as often as they choose to do it. So is it wrong to do it every single week? No, 
Is it wrong to do it every single month? No. Is it wrong to do it uh, once a quarter? Is it wrong to do it uh, once a year? No. None of those things are wrong. As long as you are reflecting and remembering and celebrating and you anticipate everything that Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection. So that's all the Bible has to say about how often we are to do this. But then Paul goes on to say, and he's like, as often as you do it, make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. And that's really where I want us to focus today. Why do we take communion? Because there are some Christians who don't really know why we do this practice. Maybe no one really told you why. You just kind of came to know the Lord. You became a Christian and you're like, well, I see other Christians doing it. So why shouldn't I do it? Like, I'll just start doing it too. Maybe you came to know the Lord a long time ago and somebody did teach you about it, but you kind of have forgotten about it. And so this is a good review for you to know why we take communion. And so today out of our text, I want to show us four reasons why we take communion. And my hope and my prayer is that after you hear this, you'll look at communion as not some spiritual ritual or something that you just need to do, but that it has significance and it's a powerful expression of worship. So why do we take communion? Well, one, we take communion because it invites us to remember. It invites us to remember. When we take communion, we remember everything the gospel says. We remember everything that Jesus did for us. Again, look at verse 24. Jesus said this, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The word remembrance in the Greek means memorial. So what Jesus is saying here is, I've given you communion as a memorial, as a time to look back in on the past, to remember this vivid experience, to reflect on the meaning and the value. It doesn't say do this as some spiritual pick-me-up. It doesn't say do this as something to check off on your spiritual checklist. There's intentionality here. Do this. Press pause. Stop for a minute. Look back and think about the glorious reality of the cross. In fact, I read a quote from a British pastor named Alan Redpath, and he talked about this word remembrance, and this is what he had to say. He said, it is the one who has given something for us at Calvary, asking each of us to remember his death, to put that at the very center of our Christian experience. It is he who loved us even unto death, calling us out of the busyness and often barrenness of all of our pressure and work that we might wait upon him in the stillness of our hearts and worship him. He points us back not to his life or example, but to that which is at the very heart of the Christian gospel, the atonement of the cross, the finished work of Calvary, and the open tomb. We could say it this way. Jesus gave us communion to invite us to step out of the busyness of our lives and to focus on what really matters. Uh, if we're honest today, I wonder how many of us this week, we actually stopped and we paused and we thought about everything that Jesus accomplished for us. Like, I'm sure we stopped and we paused to thinking about how did we get the kids to school, you know? Uh, we stopped and paused. We thought about the fact that it's a new year and we got our to-do list and how are we going to get these things accomplished? Maybe stopped and paused and thought about where are we going on vacation this year as a family. But I'm sure not very many of us stopped and we paused about everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. 
Jesus knew what would happen. We would get busy with life. Things would happen. We would get busy with work, busy with housework, get busy with our hobbies, get busy with, you know, there would be sickness in our lives and we would just run past the reality of the gospel. But there's also another danger. We can become so familiar with the gospel that we're no longer moved by what Jesus did for us. You know, I, I, I talked about the gospel up front. And I think for so many of us, we kind of just hear it. And for a lot of us, it could just kind of roll off. We're like, yeah, I know that. I've heard that. And that's a danger for us because we can become numb to what Jesus did. But here's the thing. When we do pause and we think about everything that Jesus accomplished for us and we let the gospel fall fresh on us, we can't help but remember the price and the weight of our sin. And so Jesus is like, I'm giving you communion. I'm inviting you to stop for a minute. Tune everything else out. Turn off the phone. Turn off the TV. Turn off the music. Turn off the distractions. Turn off social media. And just listen and think about all that I accomplished through my death, burial, and resurrection. And there's really two images that are talked about here It's that we need to remember. It's the bread and the cup. And you might be thinking, okay, well, what do these things mean? Well, the bread represents Jesus's body, being that the truth that God did become a man for us. Jesus is eternal. Jesus already existed for all of eternity. He has no beginning and he has no ending. But at some point, Jesus chose to enter into human history and Jesus took on humanity, meaning that God became a man, so much man that he was not God at all and so much God that he was not man at all. He was the God man. And where do we get this from? Colossians 2.9 it says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So Jesus is all that God is with skin on. And so we take the bread, and when we do that, we sit and we remember and we worship the fact that God became a man for us. But then there's the cup. The cup symbolizes the shed blood the blood that Jesus shed for our sins. Jesus was our substitute. He stood in our place and he died for us. Second Corinthians five says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel message. That's the great exchange that took place, that Jesus took on all of my sin, all of your sin. He took it all on himself and in exchange, he gives us all of his righteousness. And so when we take the bread and when we take the juice, those are symbols, those are pictures to remind us all of what Jesus accomplished. Now, let me warn you, because there are some people who will take this a little too far. There will be some people who will teach that this is literally Jesus's body and this is literally his blood. Now, let me tell you, if you ever hear that, this is what you should do. Run the other direction, all right? That is not what is happening here. That's not what this is. And I'll tell you why. One, because of the words Jesus says. He says a couple of times, what? Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, that word remembrance means memorial. If Jesus meant it to be something else or that this was literally his body and his blood, he would say, do this to experience me. That's not what he said. Do this to remember, to look back. But another reason is the pattern that Jesus uses in the New Testament. He talks in figurative language. 
So, for example, it talks about Jesus says, I am the door. Now, when Jesus said, I am the door, do you think people actually thought, oh, Jesus is a piece of wood with a little doorknob on the side? Nobody thought that. When Jesus said, I am the vine, were they like, oh, Jesus is a piece of shrubbery that's growing across the ground or up on a wall? Nobody thought that either. When he says, I am the cup of, or when I'm the uh, living water, did people think, oh, Jesus is literally a cup of water? Nobody thought those things. Jesus used figurative language in the New Testament to communicate spiritual truths. And that's what's happening here he, as he's talking about communion. In fact, I'll illustrate it for you this way. So today, I brought a picture of my family. This is my family. Now, how many, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, now, how many of you, when I said, hey, this is my family, you're like, oh, what? I don't even know what size frame this is. Oh, that's his family. Oh, it's so nice that he could take it with him wherever he goes, that his family's with him. When I said, this is my family, none of you thought this is literally my family, but this picture represents something very important, something very real and meaningful to me in my life. That's what it is. And so when Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood, none of the disciples in the room thought, man, we're about to eat Jesus. Like, <laughs> we're going to be cannibals up in this place, in this upper room. That's what's going to happen. That's not what they thought at all. They understood what Jesus was saying, that these elements are his body and his blood, that these elements are a picture, a reminder that God became a man and that his body was broken and his blood was shed for our sins. And so communion is a reminder of the gospel. Here's the second reason why we take communion. Communion invites us to proclaim the power of the gospel. Verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, that word proclaim in the Greek is a word that means to declare openly, declare out loud, to announce. It's a word in the book of Acts when talking about the disciples, when they preach the gospel boldly. See, in America, we are uh, living in dangerous times as the church because the church in America has become so consumed with self-help philosophy, prosperity, felt needs that we have drifted, that we have moved away from proclaiming, preaching, teaching the gospel. There are some churches that want to talk a whole lot about a whole lot of other things, but we really don't want to talk about the gospel. Why? Because we just don't want to offend anyone. I've heard pastors interviewed say that. I've heard people who work on church staffs before go, well, we just don't want to offend anyone because, you know, essentially what happens if we offend people, there goes the tide, there goes the church. So we just don't want to offend anybody. But if I could just be real honest and real with you all for just a minute, guess what? The gospel is an offensive message. Meaning the gospel says we need to be saved. We can't save ourselves. The gospel says that we are separated from God because of our sin. And there is nothing we can do in our strength, in our power, in our righteousness that will ever make us right with God. See, we could be happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise and still be lost and separated from God in our sin. But the gospel says God did for us what we could not do on our own. And God gave us this practice. God gave us communion as an anchor to bring us back to teaching, preaching, proclaiming the gospel. Because I think God knew for many of us there would be this temptation to drift away and not preach the gospel all the time. But listen, every time we take communion, we are forced 
We have to preach the gospel because we have to explain what these elements mean and how they symbolize what Jesus did for us. See, the only hope for Clarksville, the only hope for Tennessee, the only hope for America, the only hope for the world is the gospel of Jesus. And when we talk about the gospel, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes in and he saves people's lives. So communion keeps us from drifting from the gospel. But here's the third reason why we take communion. Communion invites us to celebrate until Jesus comes again. We get to celebrate until Jesus comes again. Verse 26, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, but pay attention here, until he comes. Uh, This week, I was on social media and I saw, it was like 2024, not off to a good start. And it showed all the terrible headlines and everything going on in our world. I was like, well, it's not, we're not off to a great start, you know, and I don't know how your year ended and I don't know how this year began for you, but would you all like some good news today? I think we all could use a little good news today. Here's the good news. Jesus is coming back again. This world is not all that there is. This world is not our home. Jesus will come back. The Bible tells us that with a shout, one day Jesus will descend from heaven and the sound of a trumpet, the dead in Christ will rise and those who are alive will meet him in the clouds. So Jesus is coming back. This world is not all that there is. And so every time we take communion, not only do we look back and remember everything that Jesus did for us, we look forward and we celebrate that he is alive and he's coming back again. But here's the reality. We won't always need this practice of communion because one day communion will turn into the marriage supper of the lamb. We'll be hanging out with Jesus, eating with him. I'll illustrate it this way. When I travel, uh, oftentimes I'll open up my photo app on my phone and just look through pictures of my kids or watch videos and things that they did. And it'll make me laugh. It'll make me smile. It makes me go, oh, I really do miss them. I, I miss being with them and hanging out with them, you know. And then I go to bed and, you know, maybe during the day I'll kind of open it up again and I go, oh, man, it's so great. And I'll, I'll laugh it again at a video or a picture. But here's what I've noticed. I don't open up that photo app when I'm at home. You know why? Because they're right there next to me. They're doing all the things that I would watch a picture or watch a, a, a video on. They're doing all that stuff right there. We are together. So here's the point. Right now, we need communion. We need a picture. We need to have something to remind us of what Jesus did for us. But one day, we won't always need this because we will be at home with him. And here's the last reason why we take communion. Communion invites us to examine ourselves. It invites us to examine ourselves. Again, verse 28, let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The word examine here is a word that means to put to trial, to test by questioning. Meaning that every time we take communion, one of the things that you should do is you should stop for a minute, examine your heart, prepare your heart to take communion. And so what are we to examine? One, we're to examine our relationship with God. Do we have a relationship with God? Do we even know God? Now, some of you might be like, well, that seems like kind of an obvious question. But again, you got to remember, people who take communion, they believe that somehow it imparts grace into their lives. That if I just take communion, well, then I am guaranteed salvation. But that's not it at all. 
Here's the thing. If you don't have a relationship with God, what you need is not a ceremony. What you need is a savior. What you don't need is religion. What you need is a relationship. So if you've never come to know Jesus, the starting point for you this weekend on this Sunday is to turn from your sins, put your faith and trust in Jesus and surrender your life to him. Here's another way to examine yourself though before you take communion. Ask yourself, is there anything hindering my relationship with God? You're like, okay, I know God. I have a relationship with God, but is there any unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be dealt with? Is there an impure relationship, open rebellion, unforgiveness towards someone else? Is there anything that needs to be addressed before we take communion? See, Paul is talking about taking communion in a worthy manner. And that means that we know that there is nothing hindering our relationship with God. But not only should we have an examination of our vertical relationship with God, but we need to have an examination of our horizontal relationships as well, meaning our relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And you might think, well, why do we even need to do that? Well, before the verses that we just read here, Paul says this in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. The word division there is a Greek word that's translated where we get our word schism from. Means that there is a relationship that's broken between you and a brother and sister in Christ. And so here's the question we need to ask ourselves before we take communion is, is there anything that's hindering my relationship with a brother and sister in Christ that I need to make right? Now here in a moment, I want to give everybody a chance as we close out to do that examination, to ask ourselves, do I even have a relationship with God? And if you're like, yeah, I got a relationship with God, great. Is there anything hindering that relationship with God? Is there sin in your life that needs to be confessed, that needs to be dealt with? You need to examine your relationship with other people. Is there any brother or sister in Christ that I'm holding bitterness or I'm, I'm harboring a grudge with or anything like that that needs to be dealt with? Because this is a big deal. Now, how big of a deal, you ask? Well, verse 27 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it's heavy. <laughs> See, Paul is giving instructions about communion and he's writing to a church that was just flipping about it. There were divisions. They were at odds with each other. They were just kind of going through the motions and they made it a ritual. And Paul's challenge to them was to remember why they even do this in the first place. And Paul's like, you need to do this the right way. And if you don't do it the right way, we're guilty of the body and the blood of Jesus. And you might be like, well, what does this mean? I'll illustrate it this way. I have um, both my grandpas, they both served in World War II. Um, I had one grandpa who was in the army, uh, D-Day plus one. So he was there. Um, And then I had another grandpa, he was in the Navy. So I know we're in army town. I just said Navy. So, you know, just, I still have the army. So all can be forgiven. All right. But, uh, but my grandpa was in the Navy. My grandpa was in the army. And so I grew up understanding a lot about the flag. I knew about the flag. Like they had a flag out because it was a Tuesday. Like that's just kind of what it was. Like some people, they put it out when it's Memorial Day, Veterans Day, 4th of July. But, uh, you know, my grandparents had it out all the time. In fact, my grandpa, who was in the Navy, he had a flagpole that was out in front of his house. 
And every morning he would go up there and he'd put the flag up and every night he'd take the flag down. And I remember uh, when I got a little bit older, he pulled me aside and he said, let me teach you about this flag. Let me tell you what this is all about. And so he instructed me, this is what it means. This is how you hold the flag. This is when you take it down. This is when you should do this. This is when you should do that. He even taught me how to fold it. We folded it quite a few different times. And I thought about it and I thought, all these rules and all these regulations for the flag were there because the flag is not just a piece of cloth. The flag meant something to them. It represented the men and women, the people they knew who died so that we could enjoy the freedoms that we have. So the flag wasn't just some piece of cloth. It had meaning. It had value to them. And I think what Paul is saying here is when we approach communion as just some ritual or something we just go through the motions with and we don't even give it a second thought, we're not dishonoring the ceremony. We're dishonoring the one the ceremony represents. So here in a moment, we're going to take communion. And so my challenge for you today is remember what Jesus did for us. Look back. Proclaim the gospel to yourself. As you hold those elements, preach it to yourself. Remember your sins. Remember what you've done. Remember that Jesus was sinless, yet he took all of that on himself. And as you hold that, look forward to the time that you're going to see Jesus face to face. But before we do any of those things, let's first examine our hearts Make sure that we're right with him, right with one another. And then we take it and we celebrate. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that you did everything for us. God, thank you so much for communion and your words about it and giving us this ceremony for us all to press pause to stop the busyness of our lives and to reflect, remember, celebrate, and even anticipate all that Jesus did and everything that he will do. And so, Lord, I don't know what this last year 2023 looked like for everybody. Maybe it didn't end well. Maybe 2024 is beginning the same way it ended. Lord, I don't know what kind of sickness that's going on in everybody's life or health issues or concerns. I don't know everybody's job situation, everybody's family situation, everybody's financial situation. But Lord, I know that you see every single one of us. You see our whole lives. Not only do you see this year, you see our whole lives. And so, Lord, whatever is going to come this year, I pray what we hold in our hands would be the thing that would anchor us. That we would remember anytime we go through something, good or bad, we would remember the gospel stop and reflect on everything that you accomplished. We would preach this gospel to ourselves. And we would look forward to seeing you. And so, Lord, whatever may come, Lord, I pray that we would always remember that you've done more than enough for us. 
And so, Lord, we want to take communion now. But, Lord, we know we have to do some examination first. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we're going to take this exam. And so the first question is, if you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus. Do not take this. That's the warning. This is for believers. But that doesn't stop you. Confess your sin. If you heard the gospel today, confess your sin. Be made right with Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. Let him cover you with his grace and his mercy and his love. And right where you're sitting, all you need to do is confess your sin. Jesus already knows. Just like he knows you left those bad reviews. He knows every sin, every thought, every act, everything. Nothing is hidden from him. So confess that. Repent of it. Turn from those sins. Turn to him. And don't just do it in this moment, but live a life of surrender. Knowing he loved you so much that Jesus came and he died and he rose again for you. He loves you. He has a better life than you could ever think, hope, or imagine. So if you don't know him, confess and then take this. But if you are a Christian today, examine your heart. Say, God, is there any sin in my life? Is there anything unconfessed? God, would you show me right now so I can confess these to you and be made right with you? Ask yourself, God, is there anybody that I'm at odds with, a brother or sister in Christ? If that's the case, make it right. Then take communion. But with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to give us a minute or two here. And I want us to do that exam and talk to the Lord right now. Hold those elements. Preach that gospel to yourself. And then we'll take this together as a family. could open up the first half for the bread. You can hold that cracker in your hand, and I'm going to pray for us. God, what we hold in our hands represents the fact that Jesus came, and he put on human flesh, lived in our world. He felt the pains that we feel. He feels the feelings we feel. He's very acquainted with us. 
But Lord, this bread also represents the fact that your body was broken and bruised and beat for our sins. That the weight of our sins was put on you, Jesus. And so even for me, Lord, as I think about my sins and the things that I deal with and the things that I've done, I'm reminded right now that you took it on all yourself. It reminds me of the price and the weight of my sin. But we thank you, Jesus, that you took on our sin and you give us righteousness. And so we take this remembering you. We can take the bread. You can open up the juice. Father, this juice that we're holding in our hands represents your blood that covers a multitude of sins. Your word even says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. God, you saw that he was enough, that he was sufficient to forgive our sins. And so, Lord, we take this juice, remembering that the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins, and that when we put our faith and trust in him, we are made as white as snow. And so we thank you for the forgiveness that's found in his blood remembering that it should have been our blood. It should have been us, but we thank you that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. Let's take the juice. And so, Lord, as I am reminded every time we take communion, there's an empty cup in my hand which always reminds me of the empty tomb because you are alive and this world is not all that there is that one day we will see you face to face we will eat with you we will spend time with you one day we will be with you where there's no more tears no more pain no more sickness no more heartache we will be with you Jesus and so we look forward to that day when we celebrate when we see you face to face But in the meantime, Lord, we hold this to remind ourselves of what you did for us in anticipation of being with you one day. Thank you, Lord, for giving us communion. Thank you for teaching your disciples on the eve of your crucifixion what communion is. And thank you for these words that Paul wrote that remind us of why we even do this and how to do this in a worthy manner. So God, we love you, we thank you, and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.